Open your Bibles to uh, 2 Corinthians 5. We'll spend uh, our time there this morning. I know, I know you're going to roll your eyes when I start talking here in a second. It seems a little early to start talking about Christmas. And I'm just going to kind of talk about talking about Christmas, not really talk about Christmas, except to say that it is only about six or eight weeks. We'll get these lights in a second here. About six or eight weeks or so until stores will trade what for what? Halloween decorations. I know you're like, wait, I haven't even seen them yet. I know they're coming. For Christmas decorations, right? And uh, why are they doing that? Well, because they're taking every opportunity that they can to capitalize on every holiday that, uh, that they are able to, to profit from the very holiday that they don't even want to attribute to that which they make their profits from, the Lord Jesus Christ being born in the flesh. But that's another sermon. However, one of the words that we like to talk to or talk about uh, around Christmas time is the word incarnation, right? And I'm not talking about carnations, those flowers that are pretty inexpensive to buy. No, I'm talking about the incarnation, which literally means the, the infleshing of the eternal Son of God. One of the things that we often remind ourselves of is, is, is that Jesus was not made at his birth. He was given. Jesus has existed before the foundation of the world, the Trinity and the Father and in the Son and in the Holy Spirit. Before the world existed, the Trinity existed in perfect happiness with his person. Three persons in one God, something that is too big for our minds to comprehend, but nevertheless true. As believers in Jesus Christ, followers in Jesus Christ, we need to get used to walking by faith in things that are too big for our minds to comprehend. Many times too big for our hearts to understand. But then out of an overflowing of love and grace and mercy, God chose to make a covenant with himself, a covenant of redemption. And in this covenant, the son agreed to be sent as a redeemer for a race of men who were not yet made. The worlds were not yet formed. And the Father and Son and Holy Spirit devised a plan outside of time and space to redeem sinful mankind. But in order to do that, Jesus Christ, the second person in the Trinity, would be a, a, a new sort of person, a new, a new kind of person in a new likeness of his fallen would-be brothers and sisters. And yet, still, unchangeably God. And so Jesus would be incarnate. He would be 100% God and 100% man. We can only conceive of it as like 50-50, or he had to trade one for the other in his ministry time, but that's not true. He was always 100% man and 100% God. Second Timothy, it reads like this, that By his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. This means that before the ages began, right, as we just read, God purposed 
to save you, me, and many others, right? So we have opportunity to minister to people that are going to come to faith in Christ. We don't know who they are, but that's what we're called to do is pour out our lives in such a way so that those who on this worth with us stand before the throne of God with nothing totally bankrupt are ushered into the presence of God by the mercy of Jesus. God is not caught off by our weakness. He's not caught off of guard by our sin. We are sometimes because we're the ones with the perspective that's off, not God. And so he's never taken aback, right? When you sin in ways that surprise you and you think, oh, I did that same thing again. I thought I'd conquered that. I thought I'd grown through that. Well, you're surprised because of a lack of your own understanding of your own heart. God is not surprised. And what we see throughout the entire uh, Old Testament, there is never a plan B. It reads to us as though mankind was sinful. And so God was like, ah, I got to start over. Because God's plan is taking place in time. But God is never surprised. It's never a plan B. Ephesians 1, 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. So God's progressive revelation, meaning God is progressively through the Old Testament revealing more of who he is to us. In this part of the Bible, he's not like one way and then he changes to be like another way and then he changes to be like another way and then in the New Testament, he changes to be like another way. He is progressively revealing who he is to us all the way through the Bible. And in doing so, he gives a promise, and this is in John. John tells us that uh, Jesus existed before the worlds began and that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is to be incarnate. And so hear me use the word incarnate, God with us. That's actually Emmanuel, but incarnate. And then talking about the idea of incarnational living. So just take that idea of God being incarnate, God made flesh. And we're going to see how God equips us to incarnational living with others. Our nature doesn't change. But we, through the power of Christ, bring Christ through our lives into relationship with other people. Friends, we bring people to a person. We bring people to the Lord through our lives. And he gives us a great promise in in John, I'm going to kind of paraphrase John 1, verse 1, verse 14, and verse 12, kind of in that order, but to make a statement here, right? John tells us that the Word, which is God's communication to us, which existed from the beginning, became flesh in Jesus, so that to all who receive Him, Jesus, and who believe in His name, and I'll tell you, friends, that believe in His name, as I'm starting to get off into it, it's my own little sermon here on that, but I can't. That believe in his name is far different than I believe in God in this general uh, abstract sort of way that doesn't seem to affect anybody's life. 
Oh, yeah, I believe in God. Okay. To all who receive him, who believe in his name, they are given the right to become children of God. And so God's purpose in Christ, it's not simply a birth for us to celebrate each year, but it reveals God's plan. It reveals God's agenda, which is a set of plans to accomplish his particular goal. So what's the goal? The goal is for the church capital C church, the worldwide body of Christ, you and me to be an incarnational, there's that word again, an incarnational people on earth so that our very presence would reveal God's grace grace and God's truth saturated glory. And as we see one another, as we interact with one another, as we interact with those outside the church, we are to see people as eternal beings. We tend to see each other. We walk in our room. What do we do? And it kind of size each other up, right? Men do it, ladies do it, we just do it differently. But trust me when I tell you, we all do it, right? Why? Because we're just so insecure, we're not going to be as good as they are, right? We're not usually doing it for their benefit. But we size people up all day long, right? Do I, do I want to gauge in conversation with them? Do they look trustworthy? Well, how do you know somebody looks trustworthy? Do I know them to know whether they are trustworthy? So we're to see people as eternal, spiritual beings which need to be reconciled to God continually by being called to draw near to God, as James would say. So listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21. We'll put it up on the screen. You can look in your Bible or on your phone. It's always good to have it open. So you're looking at the words of God too. We put it up here as a courtesy uh, and to help, but it's always good to have your own copy open. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade God others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known to you also, to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward uh, appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we're beside ourselves, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Just pause and just take that sentence in. We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if any was in, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I can't even get through reading this scripture without. Jesus did not come to make people better. He came to make them new. All this is from God who through Christ has reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us and we implore you 
on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christians are Christ's ambassadors called to bring his truth in his way with his character, right? What does this mean for us? Christians persuade others by bringing the truth of God to those in need of change, which is everyone. We, we bring the truth of God to bear on their life, on their struggles, on their confusion. Why? Because we know we all feel it and we know everyone has it in one way or another, a confusion, a pain, a heartache, a struggle, sin that they can't seem to get out from under because in one way or another, I mean, sin is really what just plagues humanity. The job of an ambassador is what? It's to represent someone. You're welcome for not giving you a chance to answer. It's to represent someone who's not physically present, right? The the, the ambassador's entire life is a representation of the leader that he stands in the place of. Right? We often talk about Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross. That means Jesus stood in your place. Jesus stood in my place, taking sin upon himself, having never sinned himself. Uh, an ambassador's entire life is a representation of the leader he stands in place of. Think about this. It's not a nine-to-five kind of job. It's not a seven-to-three kind of job. They don't have banker's hours. Every moment of every, in every moment, everywhere he stands, he stands in place of the one he represents, right? You think about this in international affairs, right? Ambassadors are extended sort of a mutual freedom and respect within another country. And this happens from our country to theirs and from their country to ours, right? And the ambassador works in an embassy compound. Sometimes they live there, often they don't live there, but it's like a, a small piece of home, Right? It's like a miniature representation of the country they represent. And so while an ambassador lives in another country, he is never to be of that country. He is never to become too uh, closely accustomed or too uh, closely associated with their customs to the degree that he forgets his own. He is never to become so comfortable or so engaged with their life that he forgets who he represents. He's to live separate from that culture's distinctions. It doesn't mean not experiencing them ever, but it does mean he is to live separate from those cultural distinctions. This is true of believers. You and I, brothers and sisters, are Christ's ambassadors. Uh, we, We bring Christ's truth as those who live freely in another world, but we are not, and we are not to be of this world. How how much of our life, our time, our job, our income, our, our relationships are intentionally geared toward living life to persuade others that they must have Jesus? Not religion, not religiosity, not better performance, not church even first. We live distinctly different lives. We communicate a very distinct message. And we do not adopt the message of our culture. Especially, I'll qualify that just a little to say, especially where it differs from the priority and the emphasis of the word of God, which perfectly reveals God's truth. 
for us. Now, here's where life gets a little dicey. We think about our own lives, right? Sometimes ambassadors enjoy their freedom a bit too much, and then they get called to the mat for it, right? They get a phone call on the red phone, or I don't know how it actually works, but, you know, somebody, the president's not worrying with his, t- with his time with that phone call at the moment, but they get in trouble for just, you know, behaving a little too freely, enjoying life a little bit too much, forgetting what their purpose is, why they're there. They need to always remain under control, always remain vigilant for the nation they represent, for the leader that they represent. And sometimes we enjoy our freedom in this world a little bit too much, as though our embassy or our outpost is our own little kingdom. I mean, because you think of international affairs, some of these embassies are pretty sweet places. I mean, they're pretty posh. A lot of our tax dollars goes toward these embassies, these outposts. And the ambassador has many people at their disposal to be able to serve the needs of the United States of America in that particular nation within which reside, but of whom they are not. And similarly with Christianity, sometimes, sometimes we forget that we are representatives placed here for one purpose persuading others by bringing the truth of God to those in need of change. Which includes Christians and non-Christians, right? There's there's certainly evangelistic implications to this, but there are also uh, sanctification implications to what Paul is addressing here. So what's the message we're bringing? Be reconciled to God. This is the truth we're to communicate to the unbeliever as well as the believer. It's a call to salvation and a call to sanctification, It's a call to to new life and a call to ongoing change, to salvation and continued growth in Christ. And we use God's word because God is the one making his appeal, his persuasion to the world and to the believers, other believers through us. He uses us with his word to do that. But notice Paul's challenge in verses one and two of chapter six. Right? He continues on, and he, his tears his challenge, essentially. Don't receive God's grace in vain. He says, uh, working together with him then, verse 1, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time, and behold, now is the day of salvation. We need to persuade others through word-centered personal sacrifice. Now think about that for a moment. I want to ask you to think about difficulty in your life. I want to ask you to think about struggles that you have. I want to ask you to think about confusions in your life. I want to ask you to think about financial struggles in your life. I want to ask you to think about uh, 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 physical infirmities you wrestle with. I want to ask you to think about people who are struggling that, that, that wrestle with things. And as one who often feels pain deeply for other people, you, you, you're grieving with them for them. And that's what we are to do. And he says, verse 3 of chapter 6, We put no obstacle in anyone's way, that by no fault, that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance. How? In afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. 
by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet are well known, as dying, and behold, we live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. I have to tell you, friends, this is an incredibly convicting passage of Scripture to read. Because as an ambassador, I wasn't just playing along with Matthew during his call to worship. I raised my hands. As an ambassador who's, who's prone to wander, one who forgets that my outpost is not my own castle... This life doesn't exist to make me comfortable. I need others to appeal to me over and over again not to receive the grace of God in vain. But to pour out my whole life for the message of reconciliation. There was a moment in our home several months ago, and I asked my boys permission before I share this this morning. I don't, I, sometimes I forget to do that. By grace, God's grace today, I remembered. But uh, several months ago, my kids were acting out. And I'm not here to rail on them because we all have done it before. But my kids were acting out and it was significant. I mean, this was no small deal. And, um, and as an ambassador for Christ, I couldn't just let it go. Except I traded my ambassador outfit for a little king's throne. And I responded as the king who had been offended. I responded out of my own frustration and in the depths of my depravity. I responded in an incredibly ungodly way. You see, I had an opportunity, not just in my ministry here at Oak Grove Church or with my neighbors. I had an opportunity right here as an ambassador on 212 Autumn Street, some town somewhere to... Be an ambassador for Christ with my children who needed an ambassador to take them to Christ. Yes, through discipline. Yes, through challenge. But I traded my role as an ambassador for the role of a little king who was offended. How dare they respond to me that way? How dare they speak to me that way? How dare they speak to one another that way? I won't stand for it. Whew, a lot of eyes in there that were going on in my heart. I love my little kingship, though it didn't last for very long, because it wasn't very long that the Holy Spirit, who indwells his people out of love, called me to the mat. Hey, Pastor Dad. You represent me. Get off the throne. Then, this quickly dethroned little king had to call an embassy meeting. And in this embassy meeting, this, this little 
recently dethroned king had to acknowledge who I was and who I was not. This, this little dethroned, now humiliated king by the Lord, humiliated by my own behavior, the tone of my voice, the raising of my voice, I could go on. It was not pretty. If you'd have heard it, you'd think, I don't think it should be our pastor. Or I don't think a pastor should treat his family like that. You'd be right. For me personally, in that moment. And yet God in his mercy showed up and said, just remember who you are. And so I called our embassy team together. And I said, I am sorry. Oh, you were wrong. And you deserve discipline, but discipline is training, not wrath. And what you got from me was wrath. Because my little kingdom was offended. But God's called me to be an ambassador. And I want to remind you that in the same way that God has forgiven you of the sins you just committed against the Lord and one another, God has forgiven me for the way that I just spoke to you. Will you forgive me, Braden? Will you forgive me, Skylar? And Sherilyn, my poor, beautiful bride, saw the whole thing go down and does not always, you know, exercise his wisdom and like, I think this, I think I'm just going to stay clear of this one. And we prayed. And it was ugly, but we prayed and we cried. And God reminded me that I'm an ambassador, one who is always called to represent him. First, in my personal outpost, before extending out to my neighborhood and my church family. God has brought so much healing, eternal comfort to my soul, forgiveness, mercy, and grace that I am to live and I am enabled to live, I am empowered to live in a way that I am constantly being given over to death for the sake of those God has given me some ability to influence and you the ability to influence and persuade for Christ's kingdom. Now we know that we can never do the work of changing hearts, but we are called to engage in persuasion. I want you to see what Paul talks about in, 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 in uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 11. This is precisely what he says. Now remember, he is just in chapter the second part of chapter 6. He's talked about beatings, uh, hardships, riots, labor, sleep, this night. I mean, the list is not short, right? Mine does not compare anything to his. But in the first chapter, verses 3 to 11, here's what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is very much like Matthew's call to worship, which we did not have planned. In fact, Matt came to me this morning and he said, I have something that I think may be, think may be a call to worship for us this morning. And I said, go. 
Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that, that's a purpose statement, we experience affliction and we are comforted by God when we find refuge in Him. Why? So that your affliction, your struggle, your pain, your confusion, friends, your anger, your hardship of any kind is never an end in itself. It is always purposed by God to use you in the lives of others to bring his comfort and your pain, your struggle, your hardship, your sleepless nights, your tears without end are the vehicle God uses to carry your message. It is often a river of tears through which our message flows most freely. God, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those in any affliction with the comfort that we ourselves are comforted by God. Th that does not mean a hardship that we got over and are able to come alongside other people. We must be comforted by God. If we do not take refuge in the Lord, we will not comfort others rightly. We'll try to comfort others with our own strength. We'll try to comfort others with our own wisdom. We'll try to comfort others with our own strength, our own resource. And God says, I comfort you so that you can comfort others. It's the only way, friends. It's the only way. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in his comfort. Abundant comfort from an abundant God who needs nothing. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. I want to ask you right now, in what are you afflicted that is for the comfort and potential salvation of someone you've not even met yet? In the areas where you feel pain in your life, how might God be using it to comfort you so that you can comfort another with his truth? If we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings we, is, we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Verse 8 of chapter 1, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. He's just going back into life experience here, right? I, I, I want to just put it out before you because you need to see how God worked in it. For we were so utterly burdened. He's not saying like, man, those were tough days. We were, listen to the language. He stacks the description. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. You ever been there? It's too much, God. It's too much pain too much heartache. It's too much confusion. I'm tired of being here again. It's too much. So utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Nothing minimizing. Not an ounce of minimizing. 
but real, true pain and real, true comfort from God. If we'll go to him. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. And the idea that he will deliver us again and again and again and again until he delivers us into glory. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Paraphrased? Praise God who takes care of us in trouble so that we can live to take care of others in trouble with the very same resources we have in Christ. I want to leave you with three questions. In your own personal pain, struggle, confusion, hardship, are you living as one whose who's, who's mini kingdom has been assaulted and reacting with your own resources as your own general or as an ambassador who calls home and says, King, I need all you got. Send comfort, help now. Because all of King Jesus' resources he can bring to bear through the word of God with the sweaty, with the people of God and with the tone of Christ appropriate for the situation. Because it's his wisdom not ours. What current opportunities, maybe in the church, maybe outside of the church, has the Lord given you as his ambassador to bring his truth in his way with his character? And are you relying on his truth in his way with his character? Oh, none of us will get it right, especially all the time, but we just often don't. And sometimes we've got to call a little embassy meeting and say, hey, embassy team, I blew it. And I sinned against God, the real king. And I sinned against you. We have to do that as a body. Please forgive me. We have to do that as a body. And in these opportunities, one who seeks to and here's Oak Grove's vision. Our vision hasn't changed. Our vision is not changing. As one who seeks to reach and teach and live out what it means to be wholehearted followers of Christ. It's just another way of talking about our ambassadorial calling, right? In these opportunities is your emphasis on knowing God so well through this book that you're equipped to care for people in sin, pain, heartache, confusion, fear, uncertainty. I mean, the list could go on. You saw, I read this list from Paul. It's like 15 or 20 things long. I read like four, five maybe. 
with the wisdom that's contained in this book. If God's word is powerful enough to save our souls, God's word is powerful enough, powerful enough, strong enough, wise enough, thorough enough to help us with everything that it says he will help us with in this life. In other words, is your emphasis on what you have in your own wisdom? Emphasis is what I'm asking you now. Where's your emphasis on what God has given us in your, in your own wisdom or in what God has given us here in this book. To be, to be people of the book, continually growing in our knowledge of the word. Does the word of God speak to the challenges we face, face as a church? You bet it does. Does the word of God address uncertainty? You bet it does. When life is hard, confusing, is there a God who's providentially leading through the circumstances of our lives? You bet there is. Is God confused, wringing his hand, trying to figure out what next steps look like? Not for a blink of an eye. Brothers and sisters, we can and we must lean on our king. We must remember who we are as ambassadors for Christ. We must endeavor to know his word, be willing to courageously bring his word to bear in our own hearts as well as in the hearts of one another as we as we discuss our situation as a church where we're at as a church what does our vision look like as a church our vision is not changing sometimes there are ways we look at it and say well how do we carry out you know these parts of our vision is there a god providentially leading through the circumstances of our lives to shape us more and more into the image of his son jesus Yes, he is. And as his ambassadors, we're called to bring his truth and his way and in his character. And much like Jesus did, even before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, giving his life sacrificially, but before he was there, he prayed for his disciple. And this is what he prays. And with this, I'll close. For real. John 17, 20 and 23. It's the middle of the prayer at this point. I don't ask for these also, but for those who will believe in me. In other words, he's praying for Christians now, his disciples, and those who will believe. For those who will believe in me through their word. In other words, as we take his word to them, they see it as our word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, in me, are in me and I in you. That they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you've given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Paul Tripp paraphrases this prayer and he says that Jesus prays in effect, Father, you remember the glory I revealed on the earth as I took on flesh and blood, as I became incarnate, infleshed? I have placed that glory on your children so that they can continue to reveal that glory on earth. And he continues, people are changed by seeing Christ in new ways that reveal the bankruptcy of their own agendas and the emptiness of the glories they seek. Friends, being an ambassador means 
following the example of the wonderful counselor in our words and in our responses, wherever we are and with whomever we are with. In any circumstance, we say, Lord, help me. Do you know that's just the right prayer? Lord, help us. Would you pray that with me now? Just say it with me. Lord, help us. Come on. Lord, help us.